0: You know, last week we started a series that we're calling Encounter. And the whole idea was to set the tone for the new year. And and we... Started out, I know that it was kind of the first Sunday in in January and and sometimes it takes us a little bit to get back into the groove coming up for the holidays and their sicknesses going around and so not everybody was here. So I want to challenge you if you weren't here to go back and listen to the message on the app because it really sets the tone for what I believe that God is speaking for this year. I believe that this is going to be literally the year of encounter. I am praying for that. I am believing for that. And so last week we talked about John fourteen twenty three and we talked about where Jesus makes this statement. He says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Let that sink in for a moment. Now, I don't want to re-preach what I did last week, but I want to set a tone before we move on to what we're doing for this week. It's the whole point was the idea of encounter, that we should desire God to make his home with us. And that's an easy thing to say. If we were to take a poll and say, who desires God to make your home with you, you'd probably say yes. But many times we make those statements without stopping and taking into account what that would mean. Because if God comes and he makes his home with us, some things are going to change. And the truth is, as we talked about that, we talked about if we truly love him, we will love him to the point of obedience. We talked about this idea of him making his home with us. And we threw threw out the question. When I asked this, I said, are you sure? Because that's what God spoke to me over some things I was praying about. I know sometimes God wants the best for us, but sometimes we ask for things, and God's response to that is, are you sure? I can do that. I want to answer that prayer, but I want you to know that some things are going to have to change in your life for me to answer that prayer. And so we talked about that last week. and, and Because this can be a huge step for even seasoned followers of Christ because when he moves in and there's truly an encounter with God, nothing stays the same. But what about those that aren't there yet? What about those that haven't quite brought themselves to the point of saying, God, go ahead and move in. God, change what you got to change. God, do a work in me. What about those that aren't quite there yet? What about those that know that there's something in their life that needs to change and they feel this tugging at their heart? But how can they make this transition towards this idea of an encounter with God? Because sometimes we throw our Christianese terms out, and we make statements like "encounter God," which is a great thing. We want that; that's what we want. But some of you know that sometimes there are people who's like, "I don't know about that." That sounds a little spooky to me. That sounds a little. I've heard about you folks, right? And we see those things. And sometimes there are those that, that I, but I want to want us to understand this morning is I believe that an encounter with genuine Christ followers can and should serve as the bridge from those that are seeking to that encounter with God. Because what happens? Many people come in, and they may be coming in, and they feel this tugging, and they're kind of wanting to check things out a little bit, and they kind of want to put a little toe in the water, so to speak, and, and they're kind of stepping in, but they have these preconceptions about what those of us that, that are Christians are. They have a false notion of what God's people are like. They fear being judged. Their biggest conception is that they're going to walk in and somebody's going to corner them and pick apart every little thing about them. And we have to be careful about that thing because, because they, they, and many times you also see, in addition to that, you see people that have this idea that, well, you know, I know I need to get back involved in church, I know I need to take this step before Christ, but I've got some things I need to clean up first. And they have this false notion that they got to get everything right before they can step in to God's presence. And what they do need is real, approachable people. What they don't need is somebody that's going to walk out and pull out their holy measuring stick and hold it right up to them from the beginning and see if they measure up to the point, okay, well, you kind of measure up, I can talk to you. What they need is people that will embrace them where they're at. You heard the song that we sing earlier. I mean, that that was them picking that song. I didn't say, hey, pick this song. It kind of shows that God is sitting the table for what is being said today, that no matter who you are, this is a place you need to be welcome. And so my question is this. Well, not really a question. i got questions I'm going to get to later. But my statement is this, that I want you to hold on to. Their encounter with us should entice them towards a God encounter. Because they're not there yet. Oh, I'd love it if we were at the place where we're all walking around so holy and so full of the Spirit that when they come around us that all of a sudden conviction hits them and they just begin to fall on their face before God and and unloading all their sins and and we're just walking around with that kind of presence. But if you're not there yet, then their encounter with us should entice them towards a God encounter. So with that moment in mind, I want to talk about us for just a moment. Some of you were here, a lot of you were new, but in September of 2012, we had our first official service in this auditorium right here together as we looked at the idea of merging two churches together. It basically was already decided, but it was the first official service that we were together. We weren't quite officially excuse me, on paper yet, one church. And I'll never forget that Sunday, I don't think, as long as I live. I remember walking in, and, and I remember that this idea, and I thought, you know what, we have this situation, we're trying to merge two churches, we're trying to make this thing happen, and, and I know without it. doubt, there's, have you ever heard that statement elephant in the room? It's the thing that everybody knows is there, but nobody wants to talk about And I remember having that thought coming into that service. You know what? There's an elephant in the room that everybody's thinking about, but nobody wants to talk about it. So I decided, you know what? I'm just going to talk about it first, first rattle out of the box. So I remember making this statement right up front, saying, you know what? Every one of you, when you walked in today, when somebody walked through the door, you either said, that's one of them, Or that's one of us. Right? I know sometimes we do that. And my statement that I made was that somehow us and them has to become we. Praise God, I believe mission accomplished. But my point is this. We can still have that attitude lingering as believers when somebody comes walking in that may doesn't quite fit in maybe they're not fully surrendered their life to christ and it's easier for us as a body of believers to look at them and say oh that's one of them that whole attitude needs to shift where even when we see somebody new, they may not fit in yet, but we need to have this attitude and this mindset that somehow them has to become part of us. Us and them have to become we. If you remember, for those of you that were part of that, that kind of I kind of already mentioned it a couple of times, but it really got solidified in the church at that point. We begin using this term very often, and I haven't spoken this in a while, but we begin using the term uncommon unity. And the idea being is that we have to be unified as believers. I'm convinced that this is the key component and that for those that come in and are not sure they want to encounter God, what they need to do is they, see they need to have a unified encounter with us. We need to represent Him rightly. If they can't, let me say this, and, I, and this should be on the screen, if they can't stand their encounter with His people, they will not want anything to do with a God encounter. I'm going to say that again. If they can't stand their encounter with his people, they will not want anything to do with encountering God. We're supposed to be that bridge. Now, before you think I'm off the mark or somehow I'm going somewhere weird today, that's okay. You'll get over it. But today, I've given today's message the title, Encounter His People. Isn't it interesting that, that when we come to the end of something, when we come to the end of our lives or some circumstance, how do we know that's when we finally focus on what really matters? How often have you had somebody that they're really reaching the end of their life and they know it? And they're at that point, And all of a sudden, we hear about their regrets. All of a sudden, we hear about the things in their life that was out of balance and how their priorities were wrong. And we hear about things that, that they should, should do much better but that they didn't do. And, and we hear all those things. Wouldn't it be much better if we got those things right before we got to the end? And, and while Jesus certainly himself had no regrets, We also know that he definitely had laser focus as he reached the end of his time here on earth because it all came down to his mission and what it was about. So in Jesus' last moments in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is what I want to look at today, he was clearly focused on the things that were most important. He was focused on obedience to the Father. He was focused on the completion of his mission of redemption And he was focused on his vision for his church. Did you know in those last moments before he was arrested that he prayed for you and I? So many times we blow past all that stuff and we read this story and we don't stop and, and look at what it was. But let's look at it. John 17, 20 and 21, which is the text for the message today. He says this. He says, "My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Think about that. There he is at that place that he's about to wrap up his earthly ministry. And he's focused on the things that matter most. And as a part of that, he stops and he prays for us. And he makes this statement. When I read that this last week, I, I saw this those, these words just jump off the page at me out of that verse where it says, be in us so that. Because what we talked about last week, we talked about this idea of God making his home with us. And us, him being in us and us being in him and those things are important, but what is the purpose for it? Be in us so that. What is that that? That that is that we should desire God to make his home in us so that the world may believe. Their encounter with us will entice them towards a God encounter. Think about Jesus in that moment. Here is this man, a very human man in that moment, facing a miserable death. And his human nature, just like you and me, wanted to avoid that. Not that he was sinning, not that he was failing or anything, but you can understand that that flesh part of him was still like, "Lord, if there's any other way, he prayed that prayer and and yet he 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 came back to this idea of you know what, nevertheless, your will not mine." and he came back around to obedience, even though he was about to go through one of the most horrific things anybody would ever have to go through and i know that he was all god but he was also all man and the man part of him was about to go through some horrific things and he knew exactly what it was but this thank god this is no ordinary man this man was one with the father this man was in all things he was loved by the father before the creation of the world the Bible says that he was there and active at creation, that he is one with the father and that he was his will and the father's will were identical and that he loved everything. He wanted to bring glory to God more than anything. And think about it. It was in this moment, it was his desire. It was here his prayer for us that we would be one as he and the father are one. See being one with, with Jesus being one with us and our being one with one another was clearly a focus that he was focused on at that very last moment. And what he wants for us is he wants us to be united. He wants our will to be his will. He wants the choices that we make in life to bring glory to him. He wants us to demonstrate how that we are in him and he is in us. We're supposed to be that representation so that when people have encounter with us, they can get a taste of what an encounter with God could be like. So what does this look like in practice? First of all, this means we don't roast each other as the world does. You ever notice we have gotten into this society of critics? Everything that happens, so many people feel like it is their destiny of this world to, to critique whatever happens. Somebody posts a picture of some, somebody dressed in some fashion, and somebody's going to critique how they were dressed. Post a song of you singing something online even if it's just for fun and somebody's going to critique that. We live in this world but should we be that way as Christians? Should we be going about the business of roasting each other? Should we be about the business of of critiquing every little thing that everybody does? What it looks like in practice is us truly loving one another not giving lip service. It means that we remember that before we pass judgment on somebody else, that we've got some flaws of our own. Matter of fact, Jesus said we need to quit pulling out the tweezers trying to get the speck out of somebody else's eye. We've got this log sticking out of ours. I mean, to me, that that mental picture looks like something out of three stooges, right? Somebody walking around this log and they're knocking everybody around everywhere they go. But, oh, here, let me get that speck. We need to in practice, it needs to be where there's always room for more. Then when somebody comes in, they're like, "You know what? come on in. Join the group. It means that we embrace people so that they can embrace Jesus. Moving on, John 17:22 through23. Jesus saying is continuing part of that prayer, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, and that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He prayed for our unity. Let that sink in for a moment. So my second thought this morning based on that is the glory of unity. See, we all, many of us, oh, I want the glory of God to fall. I do too. I pray that on a regular basis. But uncommon unity sets the stage for uncommon glory. create an atmosphere where you don't have the stuff going on for God to move. True unity in the church looks nothing like conformity. I'm going to say that again so it sinks in. True unity in the church looks nothing like conformity. What is uncommon unity? Let's start out with this idea of what it isn't it isn't all of us being the same color. Isn't all of us dressed and groomed the same? Isn't all of us loving the same style of music? It isn't all of us focused on an outward holiness veneer in place of an inward heart for God. It's no cookie cutter pattern, it's that breeds this false unity of conformity which leads to a culture of judgment. Because when you have this false idea that unity is conformity, then when somebody doesn't conform to the pattern, you begin to judge. Think about that for a moment. This type of, this type of approach, it leads to false Unity. It leads to fake unity. It leads to faux unity. But let's talk about what uncommon unity is. It's a unity of focus. that's focused on the purpose of bringing glory to the Savior. And that can take on different colors. That can take on different styles of dress. That can take on different styles of music. If it brings glory to him... we need to say, you know what, that doesn't have to fit my taste. As we talked about last week, it says, well, let me sit back up and say this, we have been set free. And so Jesus didn't sacrifice so that we can be set free of our stuff to get caught back up in the barbed wire of some overly legalistic rule system. I realize there are things that are super strong convictions for us, but that doesn't always make it the word of God. I know I'm meddling a little bit. But what did it say? In John fourteen twenty three, we did last week it says if anyone loves me he will obey my teaching. Well let's obey his teaching, but let's not add any other stuff to it that it doesn't say. Love based unity will be law based every time. Can I tell you something? We're living under a new covenant. And it's a covenant that's based on the heart. It's a covenant that's based on the soul. It's a covenant that's based on the right kind of obedience and loving one another. And can I tell you, when the world sees this in its real practice, they don't know what to do with it. Because we talk about what do they do. They come in, and they have this mental image that everything is going to be picked apart about them, that it's going to be a place of judgment, that we're not going to love them where they're at, and that all those things are going to happen. And, and the people have this idea, and it's a and grain to them. And when they come in, and they find out that that's not the case, when they come in, they find out that people love them where they're at. That doesn't mean we're, we let them stay where they're at. But it means we love, because that's just the starting point. Guess what? You had a starting point at one point. I had a starting point. And wherever that is, some people, we start off a little further up the road than other people, but we all have a starting point. And the idea is we don't stay at our starting point. We move on and let God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to change them and transform them. And it's so uncommon that people are amazed when they see it and it begins to draw them. There are people that we have baptized that came in the doors feeling like they were gonna be judged and when they weren't and they found that we were real people and we loved them, God through the Holy Spirit began to work on them and transform them and they were baptized that when they walked in the door they wouldn't have fit in. I'll never forget I mentioned when we were merging the two churches. I remember months down the road, we had gone through quite a few months and things were going well. We were merging the two churches and, and I remember the day came for us to have our business meeting where all the paperwork and all the stuff had been filled out and we were about to truly officially be one church and it was all going to be set in order and as a part of that process, we had to vote on a constitution and bylaw and we, we had this business meeting and i How me know that sometimes business meetings, when you're doing stuff like that, can be a little awkward. Because everybody has their opinions. But I remember we had that business meeting. I remember that some of our district and section officials were here to help sit that in order and, and us having that meeting. But I remember the joy that was in the room that night. People coming in excited about what God has done. And I remember making a few opening comments and I threw out this idea and I kind of just spoke just a couple sentences or so on this uncommon unity thing and talking about it as we were getting ready. And I remember that night turned into this celebration. And I remember as we were going through that business meeting and so forth, I remember our presbyter, Thomas McMahon at the time, I remember him leaning over to me and making this statement. He said, this uncommon unity thing is contagious. I can feel it. See, there's something about it when people see the real thing. And our oneness is a huge witness to other people. We might be concerned that maybe you're here and you say, you know, what, but I'm just, man, I'm concerned because I'm really not a great evangelist. I don't, I don't have words. I'm not very good at, at leading somebody else to the Lord. But guess what? Yes, that's something we all should work on. That's something we all should strive for but can I let you off the hook just a little bit this morning? What did Jesus say in verse 23 when he talked about us being one? He said, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know. Many times our actions and the way we handle situations and the way we love one another can be the greatest witness we can ever have. The truth is, as Christians, our unity is a witness. Matter of fact, John 13, 35, Jesus himself said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Think about that. See, when we get there, people will be drawn and, and, and he will move in and he will be glorified. All the things that we're praying for are a part of this complete package. So let's move on to what Jesus said in verse 24. He says, Father, I want to give, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Not only is he praying for our unity, but he prays that we would see his glory. You think maybe there's a correlation there? So my last thought this morning I want to touch on is show us your glory. I don't know about you. I want the glory of God to reside in this place. As I said, the idea of encounter is something that is burning deep within me. Because can we be honest? We can throw a rock in any direction and hit another church in this community we live in. Thank God for that. But you know what would make us different? And I'm not bashing anybody else. We're not going to compete by out-programming somebody else. What would make us stand out is if we truly had uncommon unity which led to an uncommon presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to make a difference. Our goal should be for others to see his glory now so they'll be enticed to see his glory later. Remember the little now and later candies? I thought about, literally thought about handing some of those out today. <laughs> because we need to live our lives where people can get, catch a glimpse of his love now. So they can make it and see his glory in its fullness later. We need to be a people of now and later. And when we get finished, when the focus is changed from bringing glory to God, or not finished, but when we get selfish, I want to touch on that first. And we shift the glory from bringing glory to God to what I want then we're putting ourselves and our desires ahead of God and ahead of our neighbors. And what I mean by that is that we don't, you know, we should put other people, you know, how many know that we can get pretty caught up on our opinions? We think pretty highly of our opinions. But our goal should be to bring glory to God and to do something and to love our neighbor you know, I'm not saying we put our neighbor above ourselves, but scripture makes it pretty clear that 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 ourselves and other people are supposed to kind of be on the same level playing field. Cuz we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourself. But when we do that, sometimes we we get caught up in what we want. And that doesn't mean that we need to put Them first, but we need to understand that we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves and to put them on an even footing with us and forgive their shortcomings and doing for them as we would have them do for us. Can I meddle just a little more? Boy. How many times are we guilty? I had this going on in my life, and nobody called me. Nobody visited me. Nobody cared for me. Nobody even noticed I was gone. Okay, that may be true. When other people were missing, when other people were sick, when other people were facing things, did you do for them what you want done for yourself? See, it's so easy. We need to forgive one another. None of us are above making mistakes. Follow me around long enough, you're going to see me make a mistake. I know that may shatter your view of me, but it'll happen. We need to give other people the same grace we want in return. We need to love one another. We need to work to keep unity. Have you ever noticed sometimes the people you're closest with are the people that you're the harshest with. Sometimes you're nicer to other strangers than you are to people that are supposed to be close to you. What if we lived our life that our default sitting was to give people the benefit of the doubt first? Sometimes somebody does something and we get all offended and they have no idea because the way we took it is not the way they meant it. And we get all bent out of shape. Man, I really am wading deep into this. But what do we do? Instead of doing what Scripture says and going and talking to that person and making a statement and saying, you know what? When you said that, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. I just want to, what did you mean? And give them a chance to talk it through. Because what we do many times in place of that is we'll go find somebody else. You know what they said to me? And all of a sudden, you've just changed somebody else's opinion of somebody else. See, for us to have this uncommon unity, we need to give a little grace to people. Because if we look for it, we can find things that will divide us. In fact, I know of a former head angel that would be more than happy to help you with that. He got a name change to Satan. And I believe, I'm I'm not going to say this is scriptural, but I just want you to, dream with me for just a moment remember the story of the tower of babel and it's found in genesis eleven six and 7 and so the people begin to build this tower literally to bring glory to themselves and so god comes on and says this he says if If this one people speaking the same language have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do is impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. You know what? I have for years wondered if Satan wasn't sitting on the sidelines seeing this Obviously, he was all for the tower. And God comes along. They were in unity. They were in unity for the wrong purpose, but they were in unity. God comes along, confuses their language, gets them speaking different ways and and, and, and literally sows disunity in. And the project collapses and they go on. I wonder, I've often wondered, just in my mind, like I said, I'm not saying this is scriptural, if he wouldn't take notes. Huh. If I can... If I can divide his people, if I can get them disunified with one another, I can stop the advancement of his kingdom. And he's been playing that trick again and again and again through the centuries, and we fall for it again and again and again. You know... because if we're unified as believers if we're walking and I'm coming and let me, let me make this clear I'm not dealing with any particular issue today that is not the purpose I just know that if we want to continue this unity if we want the glory that we're saying we want God to pour out then we have to guard this unity because the enemy is an incredible divider And he loves to create a fence. And can I say this? I'm just going to throw this out there. If you have a concern about some decision I've made, if you've got a concern about some direction of something, and you want to come ask me about it, I won't bite your head off. You may not understand the decision, but sometimes decisions are made because you don't have all the details. And so if you want, now I may not tell you stories of something that's going on behind the scenes that you don't need to know, but if you want, if you don't like some decisions made, come ask me about it and I'll tell you how I got to that decision. And you may go, oh. Or you may still disagree. That's okay too. But what we don't need is the disunity of somebody going to somebody else, whether it's a decision I make or some department leader or somebody else or or whatever. We don't need to be going to somebody else and sowing discord. That is what the enemy does. If we do what is scriptural, we just go to the person and ask. Ask. Simple. But isn't it easier to go talk to somebody else about somebody? We need to watch that. When we're tempted to do that, we need to call it what it is. Because I'm telling you, there are times in my life that something happens and and there's something inside of me begins to rise up and wants to take offense. And immediately I have a a habit of, Lord, don't let this turn into anything because it is not worth it. Sometimes it's easier and better for the kingdom just to take a big gulp and swallow it and keep the peace. Peace. Amen? Amen. Let me tell you this, then we'll wrap this. There is something about unity. Let's say we're getting ready to do the addition out here to the kids area and all of a sudden we had no clue it was there and we find out that there was a, a one ton stone just underneath the ground that was in the way. and just human for a little bit for whatever reason we didn't have heavy equipment to get it out of the way and we had to do it by manpower there's not a single one of us that could do it by ourselves and so we would go out there and we'd look at it and and if we were in disunity we'd all stand in a circle around it talk about a hundred different ideas of how to get that moved and we would never settle on anything and it would stay there for years and months Or maybe there's this group of 10 and that group of five and this group of six that have different ideas and so they all decide to tackle it and in essence, they're working against one another. Once again, it would never get moved. But if a 100 of us worked in unity, now I I discovered something when I was kind of doing the math. I did not know that there was a short ton and a long ton. Short ton is 2,000 pounds, a long ton is 2,200 pounds. So, depending on whether it was a short ton or a long ton rock, if 100 people were in unity, that means we'd only have to lift between 20 or 22.4 pounds per person. You see how doable something is when we're in unity? There is something about that. But I hear many times people ask questions, well, can you be a Christ follower without being connected with somebody or a church? Yeah, it's possible. But it's kind of like being a soldier without an army, a citizen who doesn't pay taxes or vote, a captain on a ship without a crew, a tuba player without an orchestra. That's bad. (laughs) A politician who's a hermit, a bee without a hive. See, there's, the, there's a value in being together. We must be as one and we must work together for the kingdom because the byproduct is us becoming like him. And then the last thing I'm going to say is this. How can we leave the prayers of the one we expect to answer ours unanswered? What did he pray at the garden? That we would be one so that the world would know. And it's within our grasp to answer his prayer. Let that sink in for a moment. Because if we work together together, If we get in unity and we put our insignificant differences aside and we focus on the big picture, we can get incredible things accomplished for the kingdom. And the reason we don't is because we let stupid little things divide us.